It's Wednesday, June the 8th. Jespo yeah. and Infamous here with you. Slapping the bass. There's some kind of like, uh, there's, a, there's a bit of a vibe happening in the studio <laughs> this morning. I don't know what it is. I think it's because the doctor's going to be in the house later. I think it's because my dad guest. is showing up. Yeah. Yeah, we were we were talking about this last night. My parents are in town. They've been here. Uh, of course, uh, I'm a born and raised Calgary kid. That's where they uh, continue to live. They've got a uh, beautiful setup down there in South Calgary, and they're up here in our current home city of Edmonton. Of course, we have a little guy that's just arrived uh, six days ago now, and so... Uh, Calgary Papa and Grandma, as they're called, are up here to visit. And I'm sitting there talking to my dad, and we're thinking like it was just uh, Parkinson's Awareness Month in April. My dad was diagnosed a few years ago. It's coming up to Father's Day. It's coming up to my dad's birthday. And I was like, Pops, I think it's time that you join me in the Real Talk studio. And so it took a little bit of convincing, but we're going to wrap up the show today with that. It was like when we can give people a little bit of insight into what makes us tick. And maybe you can see behind the curtain a little bit, so to speak, and meet the people that are huge in our lives. And plus, my dad's got an interesting story. He's an interesting fella. <laughs> and so we'll welcome him to the show in, I think, about 45 minutes. Before that, we're going to check in with uh, former superintendent of Banff National Park, Kevin Van Tegum, a long career, uh, a ton of years of experience in uh, national parks, mostly Jasper, Waterton, Banff. But he's also written, I think, if, if my memory serves correctly, Kevin's currently working on his 16th book. We'll ask him in just a second. There's a lot of park stories going on. I love it, parks. It kind of felt like time to check in with him again. Yeah. You know, I was seeing people. There was the Kananaskis Conservation Pass that was introduced about yeah. a year ago in our home province of Alberta. People have started to wonder. They want to see the receipts. Where did the money go on that? Did the money yeah. actually go back into parks? But it prompted a lot of conversations on how people feel about, for example, user fees. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, should there be user fees for parks? How important are they? Should they be accessible to everybody? Do the fees, you know, sort of conflict with the accessibility? You could make the argument they do. It's kind of a weird thing. Like, do we have to pay for nature? But then on the other hand, I'm the type of person who I would if the money's going to the right place and it's conserving the area and, it, you know, people are cleaning the area and taking care of the wildlife. Then I, I'll shell out a few shekels. Yeah, sure. Is there like is there the, the dried firewood stacked really yeah. nicely in some of the I mean, some of these parks? We'll ask Kevin about that. I've never really got candid with him before on on like if there's a rivalry between provincial parks and national park staff. <laughs> Probably a little bit. Sounds like an episode of Parks and Rec. Yeah, it does. Like, but like the war, it's like the combo of the Anchorman battle, the parking lot battle, where there's the two stations that fight in the yeah. street. We have um, the better park. Yeah, but but there's all the things, right? Like the national parks kind of have the like I yeah. think the bigger footprint. You're the uh -huh. national freaking park. But the provincial parks have all the, it depends on the province and mm. it depends on the park, but they have like all the firewood is supplied and all these, there's a few extra little perks and benefits swanky there. Parks. The swankier <laughs> parks. Kevin's probably just rolling his eyes parks right now. Parks a park to me. Yeah. I just like it. I like it natural. I like to go out there and, you know, I'm not a big nature guy. So when I go out there, I'm like, yeah, I'm in the wild. Are you like, uh, are you the glamping guy? <laughs> yeah, totally. That's me. You show up to the yurt. Where's that space heater and all that, yeah. you know? Okay. Well, hey. You're we, the opposite, I can tell. Well, we get people outdoors in different ways. Different things draw different people out. And the whole point is to enjoy the great outdoors. Plus, figure skating's governing body yesterday. You see this? I should probably just start the show. We're like six minutes in. Bitcoin Wells, like, you want to give us a shout out? But <laughs> Caitlin Osmond's going to join us. An Olympic champion. She's an Olympic gold medalist in the team events for Canada. She's uh, Canada's, uh, she was Canada's, uh, when she won in 2018, uh, world championship Canada's first 
world champion in 45 and almost 50 years. She's phenomenal at what she does, having retired from amateur figure skating a few years ago. Uh, she was our first thought when we saw yesterday that the governing body has raised the age of competition to 17. You know, you have these like 15-year-old gold medal favorites skating in the Olympics, but why is this an important move? It appears to me, I mean, the vote was huge. It was like 116 to 15 or something like that. Uh, we'll get the actual numbers when we talk to Caitlin, but we'll get her take on, on maybe her recollection of competitive skating at like 7, 8, 9, 10, 12, 14 years old and what she thinks about this decision. Plus, my Jasper memories will take you out to the mountains. It's going to be an awesome episode of Real Talk. And of course, it is presented by our friends at Bitcoin Well. I was telling you yesterday about their website. and You can check it out yourself. I mean, you always know you can go to all of our sponsors pages directly from ours. But if you just punch in BitcoinWell.com, you can see how you can go from bank to Bitcoin in minutes. Uh, you can buy your Bitcoin with a Visa debit card. They create an account. They make it nice and easy for you. People will say, well, why do I need Bitcoin? Well, there's all these apps, right? They're Canada's non-custodial Bitcoin company. What mm. does that mean? Well, check it out. You don't have to go try to figure out your money. Someone described it to me this way. It was like when the, when the Great Depression happened in the 1930s, you heard these stories of people just lining up outside the banks trying to get their money back, yeah. right? Trying to get their money back from the banks. The banks are a custodial system. And unfortunately, a lot of people weren't able to get their actual cash. They wanted the cash withdrawals. The bank's like, well, that's not really how we work. Bitcoin Well makes sure you have your Bitcoin, not some third-party app. It's a non-custodial system. That's a big benefit. Find out more about it on their website, or you can find them on ours under the Sponsors tab at ryanjesperson.com. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. I've been looking forward to checking in with Kevin Van Tiggum for a while. He's been on Real Talk before. You'll remember he joined us. Kevin can clarify. He joined us like from from the cab of his truck. He was in his car, like in the parking lot. He had he had driven to a trailhead to find reception so he could have just enough bars on his phone to talk to us last time we needed to check in. Uh, when we're talking about coal mining in the eastern slopes, when we're talking about riparian zones or off-road policies or 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 forestry management or the pine beetle or what have you. Kevin's a go-to, born and raised in Calgary, just like me. For 34 years, uh, he worked in national parks, as mentioned. Jasper Waterton, superintendent of Banff National Park. He's the author of 15 nature and conservation books. He served on a ton of boards, including the Foothills Model Forest, the Alberta Wilderness Association, the Nature Conservancy of Canada, the Livingstone Landowner Groups. As, as you can tell, a wealth of information and experience. Uh, he lives in Canmore when he's not on their property near Pincher Creek. Uh, Kevin Van Tiggum returning to Real Talk. Where, where are we catching you from this morning, my man? Oh, it's on my truck today. It's, it, it, you're, I'm here in Canmore. You're in Canmore. So this is your home base, and you're working on a book, right? Number 16? Yeah. What are you, what are you writing about? Uh, it's sort of a, it's a look down the back trail at uh, Alberta's conservation history through, uh, through personal experience. So it's a, it's a, it's a big project. Uh, it, it'll be a while before it gets done. You've uh, it, it's been interesting because I mean your, your books are obviously very informative, but there's also a, a real advocacy angle to them. You care quite deeply. That's evident. Um, we're sitting around the dinner table with my parents the other night. We were talking about food, and we were talking about kind of you know where people are. This this idea of like farm to fork, and people want to see the face of the farmer, the produce. They want to know where their food came from. They seem more invested in it. There's been like this return to some of the principles that were really important to people to consumers in past 
are you seeing the same thing with with folks that get out into the great outdoors? Are you seeing this resurgence in interest? Do you see it in book sales? Do you see it uh, anecdotally with regards to who's buying park passes and things like that? Is there a movement here when it comes to the great outdoors? I think there is. I think there is. Uh, I, I think it was it was already underway uh, when the pandemic hit us. But then that pandemic, you know, locking down international travel and things like that, uh, a lot of people didn't couldn't get to the places they were used to going. So they just discovered their own backyards. And they were uh, the impression I get is a lot of them were blown away with just how beautiful uh, this province is and how much uh, how, how much there is to do out there, how many uh, uh, places are, are, are worth visiting. So, yeah, uh, you know, try and find a parking lot now uh, to go hiking on a long weekend. It's it's crazy. Uh, there's an awful lot of people um, out there. And I think that uh, on balance, that's going to be really good news uh, uh, because the more people that love a place, the more people that are prepared to stand up and protect it. Yeah, no kidding. And and then and, and maybe the more user fees you can collect, although I don't know exactly how you feel about that type of thing. I see you wince. Uh, every year we buy our national park pass. It's like our way to feel like we're contributing as, as we enjoy those parks. But there was a lot of uh, controversy, and understandably so, when the Alberta government introduced its Kananaskis pass that fee the user fee essentially to fund what they said was the operation of the parks and investment in the parks etc uh, for people listening on the podcast they wouldn't have seen you just wince when i mentioned user fees are you inherently against them what's your position on it i think there's a, always a place for user fees um especially for things that are discretionary that that um that uh, are, are are um you know a privilege you want to buy uh on the other hand, I'm not convinced that we should have to pay to visit our own public lands. Uh, and if we do, uh, we should be assured that that money that we that we that we pay actually goes to conserve and protect those public lands. So um, uh, the other thing we need to be conscious of is that uh, user fees are inherently discriminatory. Uh, if if you're living from day to day, paycheck to paycheck, if you're a single parent and you've got a low income. Uh, user fees can make all the difference between you being able to get your family out into nature and you having to stick stick around in the hot sweltering city all, all weekend and while everybody else goes out and enjoys themselves. So so um, I'm not a, a big fan of user fees. I recognize that they have a have a role to play. Um, but uh, I think the big thing is, are we getting value for money and uh, is that are those fees being used responsibly? Yeah, people that are paying attention to the you know the mainstream news outlets this week are reporting the, the Kananaskis Pass enforcement now in effect. Right before, I think it was this kind of gentle suggestion. There was like this easing in period where the government would remind you they will be enforcing this. You could receive a fine if you're using the park without the pass. Uh, critics now questioning how funds are being spent and and per Alberta Parks people can check it out the Twitter account on their own time at Alberta Parks they you know they sort of lay it out they say in the first year the Kananaskis Conservation Pass generated 12 million dollars uh, with 100% of those revenues they say reinvested in the region so how well about three and a half million for staffing you know, but a, one and three quarter millions to operate the facilities. You've got the public safety programs and the volunteer trail organizations that receive some funding and the traffic management, winter trail grooming, search and rescue operations. The, the list goes on the line items from, you know, as mentioned, three and a half uh, million to about a hundred grand. Um, you've been involved in the budgeting of this type of thing before. You've been involved at a high level in parks operations strikes me that with different political parties different priorities different ideologies parks can stack up in different spots on the 
priority list, can't they? I mean, uh, is the health of the park system sometimes subject to the whim of the government of any given day? Well, um, I think that, uh, you know, there's there's a case to be made for making a public investment in things which are of public value. And uh, the piece that's left out of this discussion about the Kananaskis Pass is that um, uh, many of the things that that money is ostensibly being put towards were already previously funded through general revenues, as they should be. Former superintendent of Banff National Park, uh, celebrated author, working on his 16th book. It was a, it was a huge... Uh, I guess it was last weekend for you, wasn't it? Down at the University of Lethbridge. What an honor uh, to be handed, uh, I mean, to be recognized, let me put it that way, with an honorary doctorate. How, do you, how are you wrapping your mind around that? What does that mean to you? Well, I'm still pretty flabbergasted by that. I never saw that one coming at all. I, I, it was a total surprise uh, and a real honor. It's, um, I can think of a lot of people I would have probably put in the lineup line for one of those sorts of uh awards well ahead of me but uh um it, it it's welcome recognition it's especially from the university of lethbridge it's a pretty cool university uh it's it's one that's really um really gone the extra mile to to uh respect where it is and 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 and, and where it's positioned it works very closely with the blackfeet confederacy and um uh um it, it, it had a really good feeling to it, it's, and that's a real honor. I, you posted uh, on your uh, Facebook page your, your address uh, to the students, and, and I thought that the, the angle you took on it was, was timely and important and obviously I think provided some insight into how you approached your job and how you approached your career in parks, and, and, and you assert we are all treaty people. Um, for those that haven't heard the address that haven't had a chance to read it. Can, can, can you take us into the premise of that and, and why that was the focus of what you wanted to say that day? Well, it's a long speech, <laughs> but I, I think, I think the big, the, the, the big message there was that um, everything about modern Alberta is a result of the treaties that we signed, that the Queens uh, representative signed with the first nations, the people that already occupied this land um, and that means that, uh, you know, we tend to think of quite often the, the talk about treaties is the treaty beneficiaries are the, are the First Nations, but that's not the case. We are all treaty people. This is a treaty place. And, and my challenge to the graduates there was, was to say, you know, we failed to make that mean what it should mean. Uh, um, we, we should have a society that, that, that is built on the best of the people that came together around that treaty. And it hasn't worked that way, and it's particularly not worked that way for the for the uh, Indigenous people, for the First Nations, as we know as a result of the Truth and Reconciliation's work uh, and um, and some of the the uh, stories that are coming to light uh, lately about what happened in the last century. So, so we got to do better, and that was really the message: is that you know we need to do better by each other, we need to do better by this place, and if we do that, then we'll really be everything we were meant to be. Uh, and everything we're capable of being, and uh, so that was that was the challenge, and um, and it was the right place to to deliver it because uh, they're well along the road of trying to find new relationships and new ways of being at the University of Lethbridge. 
Hmm. Uh, Kevin, your your advocacy work obviously through the years has has included, uh, and, and I listed off all these different groups and boards you've sat on. Your work with the Nature Conservancy of Canada and the like, and and I know that you're doing some work with the Outdoor Recreation Coalition of Alberta as well. People I think have have had environmental issues or parks issues uh, more on their radar than typical. We've been talking about coal mining in Alberta's eastern slopes as an example. People are learning a little bit more about 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 water and uh, the protection of our air and our lands and, and all that kind of stuff uh, can you take us into to right now where you're at like bring us up to speed so to speak for people that that haven't necessarily seen for example the coal mining story in the headlines uh recently what you're keeping an eye on and, and, and what's really catching your attention to what you think needs to be part of public discussion right now on an ongoing basis well, I, th- I think that the I, I think that the mood is a mood of, of real concern right now. Uh, we've had a lot of really troubling messages that that have, that have come out of the decisions and actions of the current government. Uh, they've surprised us with a lot of things that they never warned us about when they were looking for our votes in the last election. And 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 certainly the coal issue was a big one. There was no reference to coal mining in the uh, the United Conservation Conservative Party's. Um, election platform but as soon as they got into power uh the uh, as the the coal jasons as some people call them uh decided to open up the entire eastern slopes for coal strip mining uh and that came right on the heels of uh, jason nixon the current minister um of, of environment and parks uh announcing that he was going to close and or sell a bunch of our smaller parks so it it, it was a shock I, I don't think most people are expecting that and especially you know as we mentioned earlier on uh in the middle of a pandemic when people were desperately in need of getting out into nature and 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 uh and uh, refilling themselves with a bit of hope and and and, uh, and renewal uh to get these sorts of messages that our best places were under threat so um that's really one of the things we're still watching I, it seems like the government considers consultation to be talking to their friends, not to all of us. And so we have things like the new Red Tape Reduction Act, which uh, includes provisions that that reduce the need for public consultation and enable the minister to arbitrarily uh, do things like open up our provincial parks and our wildland parks to motorized use. Uh, And then most recently, he's designated a bunch of trails, officially designated them under the Trails Act. The Trails Act was not bad legislation. It has a lot of potential. It also has a lot of potential to go, go sideways. Uh, it really depends on whether you've got a good government working with it. But um, these designated trails, I, I, I actually, I asked around I, uh, people in the conservation community, I said, so, you know, is this good or bad, these trails, or these maps? And nobody had, nobody knew anything about it. Uh, the minister had not talked to anybody about it. So um, at least nobody that, nobody that I talked to, so it might be just that if you just talk to your... Um, you know, maybe a few off-road enthusiasts and your 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 um, your funders that that's considered a consultation, but that's not really what I think most Albertans want. So I think there's a great deal of distrust and concern about what does this government really think about us, and what does this government really think about our best places, and can we count on them to protect the things that we love about the about the wild? We aren't getting a lot of positive signals, and uh, and but we've had some really shocking negative signals. So I think that's that's the big thing here. Is you know there there's there's a lot of lot of just un- unclarity about um, what's going on up there. Uh, 
no confidence that 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 we have a government that even gets it that, that really understands that uh that Albertans are defined as much by our, as much as we're defined by our oil and our economy and our and our concerns, we are also defined by our love of where we live and our, uh, our 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 determination to keep this a good place to live in. Um, so yeah, that that's 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 the um, the big concern. These things all these things all become cumulative. Um, you got a bunch of negative messages, you know, and so currently right now, you know, um, there's a, a leadership campaign going on with the United Conservative Party. Um, so what comes out of that? Do we get a, a chance to restore our confidence or do they double down on this uh, attack on, on nature and a, an attack on consultation? Really hard to read, really hard to read. They, um, it's just a real disconnect. Um, this is our place. Uh, they should be talking to us about it. Yeah, it's like you don't you don't necessarily think that parks are going to come up in conversations through a party leadership contest, but that's also kind of one of the things that matter a lot to people, right? I think with political well, discourse, when we host a show like this, I oftentimes think we need to talk more about what people actually care about and not always like the political science side of things, the high-level strategy stuff. People care about what hits them in the face, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Well, if, if you think about where we are in history right now, it, you know, it's not just a little parksy thing. Um, the, these are actually pretty fundamental. Uh, we are in the middle of um, a great deal of uncertainty about what's going to happen to us, you know, with our climate. And, and you know, most of the models are predicting that we're going to get a lot more evaporation in the summer because of heat. We're going to get uh, less snow in the winter, more rain. Um, water is becoming a huge issue. Uh, our whole economy depends on water. So um, where does the water come from? The water comes from the eastern slopes, from the area that they wanted to strip mine, from the area where they wanted to close the parks. Uh, so it may not be a parks issue for some people, but by golly, we all need water. And, and we're all facing a future where we're going to have less confidence in our ability to actually uh, run our economy, run our, our communities, and, 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 and turn on the tap and actually find good water there. So that's a big piece. Another one is that you know we're, we're still in the business of selling oil and gas to the world, and the oil and the world is becoming much more difficult to sell those sorts of carbon-based fuels too. We need some good news stories, and we need them on the environmental side because they are the ones that will buffer the bad news about the fact that uh, unfortunately, when you burn these fuels, you add carbon to the atmosphere, and that drives a lot of things that uh, make the future uncertain. So, um, you know, getting it right on the conservation side is not just making a few tree huggers happy, it's actually protecting our future as a province. It's fundamentally important. And that's something that this government simply does not seem to get. Kevin Van Tiggum, it's always great to have you on the show. Really appreciate your, your advocacy, your perspective here, and of course your continued involvement. We've been uh, putting these these web addresses up as we've been showing your name on the screen uh, on YouTube for the benefit of people that are listening to the podcast. I think it would you know people are going to hear this and they're going to say, well, how do I get involved, or or how can I be an advocate, or how can I show that I care, how can I contribute my efforts, and and people can check out NatureCanada.ca, Nature Conservancy of Canada. We mentioned the Livingstone Landowners Group, LivingstoneLandowners.net. Is there anything else you want to mention in closing uh, for people engaged citizens looking to get involved and have their voices heard well i, I i'm kind of impressed with those outdoor recreation co um, uh, coalition of alberta and they can you can find them if you google you know outdoor recreation alberta um 
I like the fact that we have a group that's coming together uh, to protect the interests of people that like to travel lightly on the land, uh, uh, you know, horseback, hiking, bicycling, but, but the, the low impact activities. Um, I, so I think that's another group that I, I would mention, but certainly supporting local conservation groups, querying your politicians, especially those that want to be leaders of the UCP or those that might want to be elected uh, in the next government next spring. Uh, you know, uh, we get the kind of government that we are prepared to work for. So I think that active citizenry is probably more value, more important now than ever before. So yeah, just get involved in whatever way you can. Uh, it's um, it's all part of being uh, being committed to the future of Alberta. Yeah, well said. Thanks, Kev. Enjoy the rest of your day in beautiful Canmore. It's good to see you again. Thanks, Ryan. It's great yeah. talking to you. Yeah, you bet. Uh, and again, our apologies for the technical interruptions. It's kind of funny. We've been getting some some funny feedback from people. Some people are taking the time to email us. One one guy said, "If these," he said, "He said if these technical difficulties continue, he said he's going to stop watching." <laughs> and and I'm trying to I'll, try, I'll, I'll count to a thousand before I respond because I'm not sure if he thinks he's more frustrated than we are. I don't know. And I'm pretty sure he's to not. Keep our faces, you know, like, <laughs> like that. We're, we're not. Like, do 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 do. I want to say the name of our I provider, say but the I'm name not going to. Our provider, but we're not going to. Hey, listen, we're keeping it classy here on the. And also, everything's cool. You know, we're what a great morning hanging out with Kevin Van Tiggen. We're going to be talking to Caitlin Osmond a little bit, Olympic gold medalist. My dad's going to come hang out with us today. I'm super excited about that. Nothing could go wrong from here on out. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, you know what? It feels like the right time to talk about Kubi Energy. Cool. We talk about park protection, environmental awareness, advocacy. What about going green? What about achieving your net zero goal? It might be at your family's property, which is off the grid, or you're trying to get it off the grid. Maybe it's a, a farm. Maybe it's a big commercial complex. Who knows? Uh, you can learn more about what Kubi Energy does and their installations at kubienergy.ca. You check out the website and you can get a free free quote there at kubienergy.ca. It's also a good time to remind you about Park Power because uh, people that are, first of all, going ahead and investing in solar are going to realize through the summer months Right where the you know June, July, August the sun's up for like eighteen hours, your system's going to be creating more than you need. Park Power is going to pay you more to buy that back than any other provider. Just ask them. Go check it out right now at ParkPower.ca. When you bring your business over to Park Power, make sure you use the promo code twenty twenty two dash Real Talk. It's going to get you seventy dollars off your first bill, no strings attached. Pretty cool stuff. Also, big shout out to our friends at Eden Landscaping. We've been talking to you about this move away from sod, right? You get your new dream home. It's in this new neighborhood. It's got all the walking paths and you're close to the schools. But then you look out at your, your front yard and if you're being honest, it's kind of uninspired. Just a bunch of grass, that one lonely tree. It's what the builder included. Eden Landscaping can help you ramp that up. Put the lawnmower away. Why not invest in this urban front yard butterfly approach? Yeah, it attracts pollinators. It's great for the environment, plus less work for you. Whatever your vision, they'll execute it with precise attention to detail. Check out Eden Landscaping online at landscapeedmonton.ca. And while you're checking out our sponsors, we got an amazing note yesterday from somebody that had checked out Infinity Healthcare. I wanted to read this email. Did you see this one come in? Johnny, this was awesome from Francine. I did. Francine writes in, says, I wanted to let you know because I listened to Real Talk. Thank you. I was able to refer a friend to check out Infinity Healthcare. They're so impressed with the service. I would not have found out about Infinity Healthcare if they wouldn't have been a sponsor 
on Real Talk. That from Francine. Amazing. And we're just happy to know that your loved one's home care needs are being met by a team that cares, that operates with empathy, that finds that perfect fit. You can find them online at infinity-8.ca. In just a few minutes, what's shaking, pal? We're just... So, Caitlin, Olympic gold medalist. Yeah, world champion figure skater. She's having computer issues. That's okay. I feel like this is one of those days. And you know what? Honestly, if it doesn't work out today, we'll book her on the show tomorrow. So, she troubleshot the issues like we did. She's installing an update, and it's going to take about six and a half minutes. For That's her amazing. To well, we get got, her computer. First back of all, on. we can go out to Jasper. Second yeah, of all, let's do it. The doctor's in the house. My dad's already hanging out. Here. I we'll just gave everyone just, a sneak peek. There. You gave him a little sneak peek on the wide <laughs> shot. Yeah. I love it. Well, every Wednesday, thanks to our friends at Tourism Jasper, we have a chance to kind of, I guess, maybe reset our perspective or or maybe remind ourselves of the beauty that surrounds us out in Jasper National Park. We call it My Jasper Memories. And today, I want to take you to one of the most iconic landmarks in Canada's Rocky Mountains. If you've been lucky enough to visit Spirit Island, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's enjoyed no shortage of adoration, that's for sure. Here's what you need to know about this beautiful, off-the-beaten-path island, which has captured worldwide imagination. And one of the best ways to experience it for yourself. I want to take you in there. Now, this is only accessible by boat. And so one of the best ways to see it is with Pursuit. We did that as a family last summer. The guiding company, formerly known as Brewster Travel Canada, you know that company, they've been providing visitors with the opportunity to discover Spirit Island and surrounding area for more than 60 years through their interpretive boat cruises. You get panoramic views of these jagged mountain peaks. They're stunning. They surround the glacier-fed waters of magical Moline Lake, um, the boats are heated, which is important, especially in the early morning. Uh, glass enclosed, they take you to and from the world-famous Spirit Island. You can observe in awe and listen while a knowledgeable guide retells Malene's history. And they don't omit the uncomfortable stuff either, which we really appreciated. It was real talk on that Spirit Island boat tour. Uh, they explain its geology, the wildlife, the weather, the flora, the fauna, the relationship of indigenous people on that land to the parks to spirit island it's 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 a an area of great significance to indigenous people that have visited for time immemorial the boat cruise is opening this friday uh, june 10th and uh, i encourage you to check it out of course if you want to learn more about spirit island about pursuit if you want to learn more now, now maybe the the cruise. This is worth noting because some people may have been trying to check this out for the last little while. The opening was delayed due to the slow thawing of ice at Maline Lake. So make sure you do confirm the date before you book. That's one of the cool parts about it, though, right? Is this just like hardcore nature out there? Absolutely stunning. You can learn more by checking out Jasper.travel/realtalk. Uh, And then, of course, you can link to our past segments. But as you can see right here, cruising to Spirit Island, you can book now and watch and listen to the episode. All the resources there, jasper.travel slash real talk. How are we doing with our world champ? We needed that Jasper memory today just to calm down. Just a reminder, I always say fill our lungs, metaphorically speaking. He says a couple more minutes. Fresh air. Why don't we welcome my dad in? Tell Caitlin that we'll get to her in just a little bit. This This is an amazing treat, and this is super cool. We're having a weird morning, which you wouldn't have known because you've been in transit, dropping off our little guy, Wyatt, at grade one, and... 
and everything else. But uh, yeah, we've been having like technical, the show's been all over the map the last couple of days from a technical and, and circumstances outside of our control. And so uh, we were looking forward to getting you here in studio. It's a little bit easier to keep it going when we're just face to face like this. Enjoy just sitting here and listening and watching what goes on in a live studio. Yeah, this is uh, this is a special trip for me yeah. to have you sitting across the table. Very glad to be here. Yeah, I was telling glad everybody. Glad to return. Yeah, you and I have done some radio together. Yeah, 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 and that was it. Yeah. I appreciated the opportunity. This was when you were still. Had you you hadn't even retired yet? I don't think when you came in and did that interview with no, me no, on the radio I was station. Some years uh, mm -hmm. away from that, at that point, little did I know, really. Yeah, you know, what was in store for both of us? Yeah. Both of yeah. both of those careers of ours, yeah. kind of coming to an end ahead of the date that we maybe had in mind, right? Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. retired. Uh, I guess about are we are we coming up on like three years ago it was uh family medicine was, by the way i should mention yeah. a doctor in south right. southwest calgary yeah it was it was 19 in 2019 yeah in sort of middle of the year june and you had uh, and i remember sort of ob observing you go through this process and it's quite a thing when a family doc uh wraps up practice and makes a move to the transition because you have literally thousands of patients you got to communicate with and there's the kind of the stuff that matters to people, like what yeah. happens to my medical records or do I have a new family doctor or how's this going to work for me? And then for you, a big process as well. Right, yeah. You, 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 you need to communicate with folks about all those things, but you want to as well. Yeah. You know, these people who you've been seeing and you've known for months and, and years and uh, lifetimes, many of them, you want, to, you want to be in touch and express your gratitude and give them some help making that transition when it's needed and, and so forth and you weren't necessarily yeah. looking to retire in 2019 no i sure wasn't it was yeah. it was the advent of a of a mm. challenge that that uh, mm. sort of prompted you to say well maybe i can't bring a hundred percent to the table literally maybe to the operating yeah. table yeah. no i couldn't do that no uh, that's right it wasn't it, it was coerced at least in part although you know, at, at, at my age at that point, I guess some do retire, but I wasn't quite ready, but it was coerced with waking up one morning with this shake, uh, hand and later foot and leg, and then it switched over to the other side and so forth. And, and in time, uh, got the diagnosis of Parkinson's uh, disease, and uh, so we, that brought about this, the retirement, you know, and uh, when, and doing our best and battling with it ever since. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been too bad, actually, fortunately. Uh, although it's a progressive condition, it, it's been progressing very slowly. And so I'm hopeful for that. Yeah. I remember the I remember the the day that the diagnosis was made official. Although you knew, I mean, you're you're a you were a physician for forty plus years. Right. You you forty five years. You knew that. Uh, I think you knew what it was. But but a neurologist actually made the diagnosis, right. correct? Right. But I remember I was at yeah. that time. Johnny and I were working together. This is going to make me cry. But uh, we're working in Oilers game, and uh, Mom called me. And I was downstairs at the rink. I've told oh. you this story before, hmm. and I already had like my earpiece in and the microphone like ready to go, and there's 18,000 people <laughs> screaming, uh -huh. and she called and just said, yeah, it's Parkinson's, and I just kind of like just felt like this punch to the stomach, and then the next thing you're like, we're looking for the loudest fans, and I was just like trying not to lose it, uh, sure. but 
since that diagnosis, it's been like, it's been a situation almost where if I can say, maybe this, I hope this doesn't sound weird. We've been like counting our blessings because you take a look, I'm going to be talking tomorrow to Kelsey Snow. You know, her husband, Chris mm-hmm. is the assistant GM of the Calgary yeah, Flames, uh, young guy, remarkable Sorry. family. Um, and then she's got this podcast, Sorry, I'm Sad. Yeah. And we're going to talk about grief and trauma and those types of things. And, and ALS has swooped in on their family. Chris is amazing. He posts videos. Have you seen the he posts videos of him feeding himself with a feeding tube? And then he's outside mowing the lawn. I saw that very video. <laughs> like, it really takes you back. It's, yeah. And so you think with a diagnosis, like a, what do you call it? Like a neurodegenerative yes. disease that it could be ruthless. And to this point so far, it feels like you've just been kind of holding it at bay. I don't know how Mm -hmm. to put it. Yeah, it's probably as good as any. Yeah, we're, we're, you know, getting more active than we were before. And that seems to me making a difference. And, uh, you know, uh, we sort of walking, Catherine and I, and rediscovered the ping pong table downstairs. I love it. Which gives you, if you go at it, really quite a remarkable workout. And my neurologist concurs. So we're going to continue that way and take it one day at a time as it goes. It's amazing. It was just Parkinson's Awareness Month and through the month of April. And obviously as a family, we pay attention to that kind of stuff. What's what's maybe one thing as a a longtime healthcare practitioner, um, when you talk to people about Parkinson's Awareness, maybe what's one thing that you learned about it or realized about it that you didn't know or maybe it wasn't totally on your radar until it hit you personally yeah well you know the the different presentations that it can have in my particular case it was tremor which which is uh, you know progresses involving you know one arm one leg to start and often switching over to the other and so forth but uh, uh, other sort of manifestations of of it are you know stiffness and slow movement, falling, things of that nature. But fortunately, I've I've landed on tremor, which can be not always, but can be the the uh, the slowest form of it, or the form of it uh, slowest to mm-hmm. advance or progress. You know, we're so the, a little good news uh, amidst the not so good news and and the surprise. It's real life, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I, I expected at some point I'd be retired from my profession, but I didn't quite anticipate or foresee this scenario. And yeah. Maybe who does, right? Yeah. yeah. Although we as a family are always uh, excited to see you channel your uh, creativity and passion and, and uh, intellect into other areas too. And, and I've shared in past, and maybe not necessarily even on Real Talk, I've read a couple emails from you on Real Talk over our year and a half or so that we've been doing the show, but the radio show before that, the television show before that, you've, you've, you, you do a lot of writing. You're a, you, you don't describe yourself as a poet, but you are. And, uh, and so it's been, uh, I don't know, you've got this, uh, I don't know, I feel like this whole other, I'm, I'm curious to see where your writing is going to go in the next number of years. Yeah. Which uh, is something that I don't. I know you don't necessarily want pressure heaped on your shoulders, yeah, but yeah, it, it would be nice. But one thing I've discovered about writing is that it's uh, it's slogging. Yeah, and it's it's hard work sometimes. And sure, there's here and there, there's the odd inspiration. So, but a lot of it is 
is really just keeping at it. Yeah, but you don't mess around. I like mm. it because you write about things like, uh, you know, all the serious stuff. You write about the contentious stuff. You write about the stuff that winds up in front of the Supreme Court or in front of, you know, I mean, and, and, and that's why I've always appreciated your perspective. Because I, I hope that it's, it's not a lost art. Uh, people having the ability to, to take a position or to take a stance on something and to argue that stance and to put it through the washer and see if it stands up to criticism and debate. And, and I don't know. I just feel like... You know, I learned that a little bit around our family dinner table and around your parents' uh, Sunday dinner table. Sure. Um, your dad, Stan, your mom, Norma. I mean, I, I just remember those Sunday dinner tables at their house in Elbow Park in South yeah. Calgary uh, being home to some pretty fantastic conversations. I was 10 years old just trying to sit there and listen to them all. Yeah, but. And all, all of it laced with uh, not, not a little fun and yeah. joking and yeah. even absurdity. And, yeah. and that, that was sort of part of it. That's what family's all about. I, yeah. Johnny, can we show that picture that I have of my dad? This is a cherished photo. People on the podcast will describe it as this is you uh, in what you're, you're delivering. A, this is a baby probably. You, you did. Oh, yes. what, what, you, you're, you're, you're not a, uh, an OBGYN, but you did obstetrics for yeah. many, many years. Yeah, How many babies did you deliver of, through your of, career? Yeah, a lot of family docs. That's a part of their practice, and, and they love it, and uh, it disrupts the heck out of everything else because you know babies don't wait yeah and when it when it calls you gotta go you gotta leave um and, and and so it was with me but you know that uh yeah i had a a, a reasonably uh, good high experience or reasonably good experience i didn't have a very busy obstetrical practice as some docs do but over the years we probably attended you know, four or five hundred uh, births, that kind of enough to be touched by its wonder and magnificence, and and of course, that's what brought your what your mom and myself up these last few days. Yeah, that sort of wonder. Calgary Papa and Grandma, I was talking about, as as you've uh, helped us welcome little Noah oh. to the family, your seventh grandchild. Uh, if I'm doing the math correctly, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and right. uh, and uh, yeah, it's been amazing to see you with him, and um, and especially leading up to, I mean, your birthday's coming up, but but also to Father's Day, it's just really special to yeah. have you here for it. Well, Noah is such a beauty, and to look him so look at him is so perfect and wondrous, and realize that he just came through that battle or or that uh, that uh, journey of of centimeters but which nonetheless can be perilous yeah just as it is oh, yeah. wondrous oh yeah so uh, yeah you i mean i remember like you're in there in the you know in labor and delivery and the, they have the the heart rate monitor the fetal heart rate monitor whatever you'd call it and you can hear it and they go oh, the baby's heart rate's dropping we got to move here we got to shift mom around and you're and you're like you, <laughs> for me a non-medical professor the heart rate's dropping wait what you know they got the nicu teams there and everything it's just just absolutely wild um got to know that the people who are there are there because of their wealth of experience and knowledge and they know when to hold them and they know when to fold them and, <laughs> yeah. and what to do at the moment you know and uh, yeah it was a, it was a great life that aspect of the, of the family practice and uh, I put it away some while ago but thankful for it 
Pops, before I go, I wanted to ask you about family medicine. Um, you were a proud family doc uh, for a lot of years, and um, and uh, you know people wonder about the current state of medicine, and people you know find it hard to find a family doctor. You know they look at, at recruitment, retention, family docs. Oftentimes, uh, the numbers seem to drop off a little bit more because of the amount of work that's involved, and and the fact that you're a you're a small business owner, an entrepreneur, and, and you're also a healthcare practitioner, and and people wonder you know you've you've got these sort of primary care things, you got the twenty four hour clinics. Uh, when you when you take a look at, at, at the future of family medicine, um, obviously I know you're going to be very complimentary and you're, you've always shown that professional respect to the practitioners that do it. But but do, are you concerned about the future of family medicine? Or when when you left, uh, you know, in part because of the Parkinson's, where was your head at with regards to assessing the landscape, so to speak? Yeah, no, no. In answer to your question, I am hopeful for the future of family medicine. I think that, that uh, it, it's, it's bedrock on which the whole system is, is built. Uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> not alone, but uh, part of it. And uh, so I'm hopeful for it, uh, really. Uh, I think, uh, you know, look at what we've come through as a society, as personal, as individuals, as families, but also as a profession. Look what we've come through with this pandemic and although there was a lot of concern voiced in the in the the, the throes of it at the, at its most uh, worrisome moment there was a lot of concern about whether the system could handle it could manage that it or would may it collapse and and uh, i uh, i felt uh, all along that and still do that uh, you know the people that work in the profession including family practitioners would rise to the challenge and do what needed to be done, and I and I think that's what's happened, I, and I think it bodes well for the future. Were you? Oh, this is a hard question. I I, I was about to just throw the fastball right down the middle, but it, but it would have come across as editorialized, and I didn't mean to. Were you? Let were you? See. Were you relieved to, to dodge the bullet of the pandemic as a as a physician? You you retired right before you didn't see it coming, obviously, and you retired because of your Parkinson's, not because yeah. of COVID nineteen. Or, or was it hard for you to be on the sidelines? I, I'll be honest with I was relieved you weren't practicing. To be honest with yeah. you, mixed feeling. Yeah, uh, uh, really, uh, and and I voiced that uh, to my neurologist and uh, said, I, you know, I feel like I'm standing at the curbside. Uh, you know, with my hand on my heart, uh, sending the the real soldiers off to battle, as it were. Um, but uh, you know, no, I I had a good life, and the the timing was that I'd I'd been out of the profession for better part of a year or so when the and the pandemic uh, hit, and so it would have been a bit of an upgrade to get back into it and up to snuff and yeah. where, where you'd want to be to be active. So. Uh, it all settled all right with me, although initially I was, I was there was some uncertainty about, you know, whether I should even consider something such as a comeback. Yeah. Uh, you know. Well, I know you did. I know you. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, listen, Pops, this is yeah. just it's so special for me to have you in here. I love you. I feel like this is just uh, uh, the audience is uh, responding to. I mean, our live audience, we've had a kind of a weird morning, technically speaking, and you just come in and as you have for for our entire lives you've just calmed the waters and uh i always appreciate that and we should give you a shout out as well john we didn't even mention it when 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 doc rolled in here dr j the doctor in the house repping your real talk ryan jesperson t-shirt very well yes. done Pop. very nicely I, done I got, a, I got the mug too that says keeping it real for since 
since 2020. 2020. Yeah, that's right. Of course, right. you've been keeping it real a lot longer than that. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you. That's yeah. A, yeah, that's what we got me here in the first place. Um, I had a mug and coffee ready for you, and I just realized in the, in, the, in, in all the hubbub, in the, in the excitement of your arrival here at studio, I forgot to give it to you. But if you want to hang out, uh, we're going to yeah. talk to Caitlin Osmond here. Looking forward to that. Hey, yeah. Go ahead hey. and grab a coffee, Pops. Thanks for joining us on the show. It would be impossible for me to love or respect you anymore. That's Dr. Bruce Jesperson. Kind of a fun little family angle on this morning's show. This is actually this the show. I know that we're, we've been a little frustrated, Johnny, underneath and behind the scenes and everything. But Caitlin's got her computer update done. She's ready to rock. We've got family members, beloved family members, and it's actually a beautiful morning. It's actually a great day. It's a beautiful day to be alive. Oh, what a beautiful morning! <laughs> All right, before we get to uh, world champion figure skater, Olympic gold medalist Caitlin Osmond, I want to remind you the show happens because of amazing sponsors that are with us through thick and. Th- Thin, like Friesen Brothers. Pick five for 25 bucks. It's back at Friesen Brothers. As a matter of fact, just this weekend, I picked five for 25 bucks. We loaded up on Smokies. We loaded up on chicken breasts. We loaded up on all kinds of things for the grill. Of course, at Friesen Brothers, they know that family is so important and so many special moments happen around that dinner table, don't they? If your dinners are going to include heating up the grill, you won't want to miss what Friesen Brothers has. They're real butchers ready to give you the custom cuts you're looking for. You can check out more at Friesen.com. At Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge, you will find Alberta's best selection of Dodge, Jeep, and of course, that Ram 1500 lineup. I tell you about my neighbor, Chad, just picked up the new crew cab Ram to pull his trailer. This thing is so beautiful. I have truck envy. I look outside. He found that perfect fit, walked into St. Albert Dodge, said, here's exactly what I'm looking for. Here's my budget. He was out of there in four hours. A happy customer. Another one from Sherwood and St. Albert Dodge. At Local Environmental, our friends want to remind you that they're now touched down in Regina. If you're one of our Saskatchewan-based audience members, if you own a small business, big business, anything that requires waste or recycling management, portable toilets, water hauling, fencing, Local Environmental does it locally and family-owned. You can request a quote today at localenvironmental.ca. And don't forget, they present Trash Talk every Friday. Send us your rant. We encourage the humorous ones to talk at ryanjesperson.com. How you feeling, pal? Well, yeah. We're about to talk to somebody that's going to remind us that what we do every day is rather unspectacular. It's kind of fitting that she's coming on at the end. It yeah. almost works a little better today. Does it? Yeah. It's yeah. Well, she's up. She's been to the top. Uh, she has seen the mountaintop. Our next guest, is, as we tee this up, you're going to go, okay, you're excited to hear from Caitlin Osmond. She's uh, just an absolutely beloved Canadian athlete, obviously one of the best in the world at what she does. But but let's provide a little bit of context mm-hmm. here. Uh, just yesterday, figure skating's governing body announcing that the minimum age for competition will be raised to 17. Uh, now, they're not doing it right away. They ease it in, but it will impact the next Olympic Games, next Winter Olympic Games, where athletes will uh, need to be 17 years of age or older to compete. It's significant for a number of reasons, but but let's find out why. You don't want my opinion on it. No offense, Johnny. We don't need your opinion on it. What we need is the opinion of somebody that, that owns, that has earned an Olympic gold medal, a world championship. In 2018, Caitlin Osmond became Canada's first women's singles world figure skating champion in 45 years, and that was just a month after she 
won two medals at PyeongChang 2018, the Winter Games, bronze in women's singles. Amazing. And helping Canada win gold in the team event. She also helped make Canadian history back in 2017 at the World Championships, where she won silver, sharing the podium with bronze medalist, her teammate Gabrielle Delman. It was the first time two Canadian women had stood together on the World Championship podium. Thrilled to welcome you to Real Talk, Caitlin. It's nice to see your face again. Thanks for making time for us. Thank you. And I apologize for all my tech issues. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Do you know what? All of your tech issues are, are, are second on the list because we've been having so many tech issues today. So we just, John and I just made a choice to laugh about it. And so we feel very liberated. Today's show actually has a really kind of a chill vibe to it. Surprisingly <laughs> enough. Are you, are we talking to you from Toronto? You're cause you're doing, you're studying towards a journalism uh, uh, degree right now, correct? Um, I actually took a break last year from journalism. Oh, I'm back living in Edmonton. Uh, I'm coaching pretty much full time, uh, but I'm going back to U of A starting in September for media studies. Oh, right on. Very cool stuff. Do you see, do you see your future in like in storytelling or journalism? Are you looking down a, a sports uh, path as a, as a, a world champion athlete or, or is something else catching your attention? I don't know. I find every month that I've been in school in one aspect or another, um, I changed my mind. <laughs> So I don't know. I like the sports world, but I really like just storytelling in general. Um, so maybe I'll find a mixture of both. It's It's got to be an interesting feel. I don't know if you can describe this to the rest of us. It might be like when you ask an astronaut to, you know, what's it like to walk on the moon? It's kind of like, well, you kind of got to be there to really understand when you, you have an Olympic gold medal, you have a world championship, uh, a career in athletics. I always find so fascinating because a lot of athletes like yourselves, you so you, you retire, so to speak. You're in your like your mid twenties. A lot of people retire in their mid to late twenties. It's like you still have your whole life ahead of you. How do you approach something like that? It's been four years since I retired, and I'm still trying to figure out how to approach it. Um, but it is it is a weird feeling retiring. Like I was 22, 23 when I retired, and then I realized I had no schooling, I had no like real life experience, but I had so many credentials. So it's like a weird mix of like, who really are you? <laughs> um, so that's been a, a fun four years. Yeah, well, no kidding. And it, and it must be, I mean, what an interesting challenge to navigate that next stage of your life when you've accomplished so much already. I mean, I w maybe there's a certain pressure that comes with it. Maybe that pressure is added to when interviewers point that sort of a thing out. I don't know. But let's talk about this decision yesterday. Uh, announced uh, by the International Skating Union in a vote 110 uh, yays, 16 nays. That's a pretty overwhelming vote to raise the minimum age of competition to 17. It's a sport, I mean, figure skating, gymnastics, where oftentimes 15-year-olds, like in the most recent Olympic Games, 15-year-olds can be the gold medal favorites. Uh, when you first heard about the decision or the, or the moves, the advocates... Uh, leading up to this, where where was your head at on it? Um, truthfully, I was surprised when it first uh, started getting leeway and started being talked about, about actually raising the age because so many times like rumors start that they're going to change it, but nothing ever happens. So to actually see something progress, I think that is an amazing thing. And I got really excited about it, but I really didn't know how to feel about it. And I found myself actually reaching out to people that I actually competed against and also my old coaches to get their opinions. And like, I think I like it, but like, where am I at? Because I was 17. I was at that bubble 
that they just aged the rate, raised the age to when I started on the international stage. So that's where I was at. Um, and I still felt young in that part, but then I also felt very old. So like, I don't know, it took a while for me to figure it out. It's interesting. I mean, all of the, it, it, a lot of the commentary yesterday and into today has centered around, and for obvious reasons, uh, Russian national champion, Camila Valieva. Um, she competed at this year's Beijing games and, and she was, I, I think it's fair to say the gold medal favorite. Um, there had been some controversy around her, uh, with regards to a, a, a positive doping test ahead of the Olympic games. And then, I, I mean, quite frankly, she struggled. It, it feels almost weird to put it that way. She's 15 years old. I can't even imagine the pressure. Um, but for a lot of people, I think that was the moment, whether they were involved with the sport or whether they were just fans, where they said, maybe we need to have a more meaningful or a more serious conversation about minimum age limits. Uh, does it make sense that a lot of people are focusing on her story, do you think? I definitely think it makes sense because the Olympic games this year with the scandal, with her age, with the meltdowns following the event, it just became such a public thing. Um, being in the skating world, yes, you see the stress and the pressures and stuff that happens behind the scenes with the tears. And you can see like the overwhelming stress on a lot of teenagers, but this time it was made public. And a lot of things have been made public, I think in the last two years. Um, that started a lot of conversations and that was just the final straw to say, okay, it's time to make a difference. The, the Russians are not happy with the decision. I'm not sure if you've read some of the interviews, uh, but the, the, there was one quote in particular that jumped out at me. Uh, uh, Dmitry uh, Solovyev, a, a, a team event gold medalist uh, for Russia in Sochi in 2014, told the broadcaster Match TV, quote, I think this was done to more or less even out the competition so that our Russian female skaters couldn't have the opportunity to win world championship, European or Olympic medals, which was kind of interesting. Meantime, you take a look at what people are saying in Canada, uh, or I mean, even just with the International Union, the skating union, talking about why this was important to address, quote, burnout, disordered eating, and long-term consequences of injury, maybe before you know, these young athletes' bodies are even fully developed. When you take yourself back to that age, like 13, 14, 15, 16, can you try to help us understand what it's like, the pressure, the strain, the magnitude or the seriousness of the training, the toll it took on you mentally, physically, emotionally? Um, to be completely honest, when I was younger, I didn't notice a lot of that. And it wasn't until I was getting close to retirement. And then I did retire that I started looking back and realizing like how much I put myself like through stress. Um, and it just developed a lot of issues that I, that went underlying for so long. And they've really just come to light as I've gotten older. Um, but when I was 13, 14 years old, I went to my very first international competition in the junior, uh, junior age. And I had no triples. <laughs> I was, not the best skater. I hadn't gotten to like my high level um, part of my life yet. Um, and I stood on the ice with people the same age as me and they were doing triple, triple jumps, things that I'd never even seen before. And from then on, I started wanting to get that. And I pushed myself a lot harder once I got home from these competitions. And I went my entire life until I was 16 years old with never getting an injury. And once I was 16, 
I was always bombarded with them because I was pushing myself to get these dribbles, to be in shape, to be at a level that I wanted to compete at. And um, I'm proud that I did, of course, like I, I had a lot of accomplishments, but in the long term, it, it, I felt that pressure. I felt the, the desire to want to be at the top. I wanted my name to be talked about. I want it to be in the front of social media. Um, and I wanted to be able to stand on a podium as much as I said my whole career that I did not care if I stood on a podium. Obviously I did. Um, of course. And that just led to a lot of pressure, I guess. <laughs> Well, three-time Canadian champion, world champion, three-time Olympic medalist, including gold uh, in the team event. Just an unbelievable career. What was the moment for you? What was, was there? Was there like one moment in your career w w where you went, "Yeah, this is the one." I think. I. I, I think. It, I think it's a real possibility. I think I can be a national champion. I think I can be a world champion. Was there that one moment, Caitlin? Looks like we might have lost her. That's okay. Hey, Johnny, it's just par for the course today. This is just one of those days. We'll see if we can get Caitlin Osmond back. It's, I mean, you know what? Honestly, what a class act she is, right? I always love an opportunity to check in with the athletes that have represented their country so proudly and done an amazing job and such a unique perspective as well. Before we wrap up the show, uh, our sponsors uh, are with us, and uh, we're so grateful for them, and that's why we're so proud to represent the brands like the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. You're going to flip for their new all-star summer blizzard treat lineup, including that cotton candy blizzard that I keep raving about. You got the drumstick blizzard with peanuts, Reese's Pieces, cookie dough blizzard as well. You can find them all at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. And of course, if today's one of those days, maybe this is a sign for you. You're considering a new career. You're considering reinventing yourself. Look at all this talk about what my dad did after his medical career, what Caitlin's been doing after competitive figure skating. What about in your own life? If you want to plot that course out or at least look into your options, we recommend Canada's online university that's Athabasca University a world-class accredited online programs and courses that offer you flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle you can check it all out today and apply get the ball rolling at AthabascaU.ca as mentioned, coming up on tomorrow's show, very much looking forward to a conversation with Kelsey Snow, just a remarkable human. She's the podcaster behind the Sorry I'm Sad podcast about grief and loss and trauma. Her husband, just a remarkable person, the assistant GM of the Calgary Flames, Chris, dealing with ALS, not letting it slow him down, though. And coming up on Friday as well, we know costs of living are up for everybody. People are starting to maybe keep more of an eye on the bank balance than before. We're going to have a cost of living roundtable quarterbacked by Kelly Keene, a good friend of the show. We'll talk to you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive producer, Josh Dunford. Technical producer, John Hicks. General manager, Katie Cook Shivers. Account coordinator, Lawrence Derlego. Human resources, Lena Shepard. Website design, Mike Johnston. Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola. Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Salto, and Nakota Sioux, home to Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. 
Real Talk is the flagship property of Relay Communications Group Incorporated. All rights reserved. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.